just a violent individual. Jimmy, you did a great job with that. to another episode of MMA FanCast. My name is Jim Mooney. I'm going to be your host. My partner in crime is Luke Payson. We've got a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, if you're tuning in, you have heard us talking to Kama Worthy. Kama is uh, part of the main event at a promotion that is starting up a new promotion in the Pittsburgh area. It is 247 Fighting Championships. Tonight we're going to be talking to his, uh, his challenger, his opponent. His name is Joey Munoz. He is out of, I believe it is Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. We'll be getting to him in just a little bit. But tonight we're going to be kicking some things around, uh, talking a little bit UFC and some regional stuff, how those two tie together. Um, we're just going to get into that. Luke, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Jim. It's great being on the show with you. I'm really excited to continue to do the interview segments we're going to be doing, and I think giving uh, regional fighters, professional regional MMA fighters, a voice where they can express themselves. Obviously, you already mentioned the Kama Worthy interview, and I think uh, that interview really did a lot to, to show him and, and what his thoughts are and kind of what his training methods are. and really helps to, to round out what people see of in, in MMA fighters, and I'm looking forward to hearing from Joey Munoz, who's going to be traveling all the way from Nebraska to Pittsburgh for the debut of the 247 Fighting Championships. And then, you know, you and I, we could talk all day about the UFC or just MMA in general, and I'm super pumped about some of our topics for tonight. If, um, for me, growing up, I was, I was a huge boxing fan. I loved it. And one of the things that I always wanted to do was go to a boxing match. You know, I, I didn't think that I would be – ever be able to get to see um, the big name fighters at the time. It was Sugar Ray uh, Leonard and, you know, Tyson was just, you know, he was still extremely young at the time. Um, but there was the news out there about this, this killer that just came out and, and would rush somebody like a bull and, you know, attack him. It was just, you know, some, it was, a, it was like the train wreck, but I loved boxing and I wanted to go to a boxing match just so I could say that I saw it. It was right around the time that the UFC started. UFC won, and this was back in the, um, the early 90s, where MMA, there were some events that were being held around the Pittsburgh area, and they were like tough man competitions, you know, some stuff you could find on TV. And I mentioned it before, you know, I, I felt like it was a blood sport at the time. Didn't know much about it, didn't understand it. You know, to me, mixed martial arts, the only thing I really knew about martial arts was took Taekwondo for a little bit. My brother was, um, was into karate. He uh, took Tung Soo Do and Taekwondo and, and that's all I knew. He would, you know, he bought magazines for uh, karate and, you know, I would read them and that was my exposure to it. So once, you know, this MMA came about, it was interesting to me because it had the boxing aspect, but then there was wrestling tied in, there was jujitsu and it was fascinating to me. 
Fast forward 10 years, 10, 15 years, you know, uh, me and a good friend of mine started going to UFC events. We went to UFC and Bellator and I had gone to probably seven, uh, maybe eight MMA events between Bellator and UFC before I even went to a regional event. That first experience at a regional event was completely different than anything else I had seen you know, down at uh, at the time, it was uh, well. This is it was PPG Paints Arena. Went out yep. to State College, out to Madison Square Garden. It's totally different, and it had it had a totally different feel to it. Regional events are super super important for uh, for outfits like UFC and Bellator, and you know, without those things, the, uh, the big name promotions don't exist. Yeah, absolutely. And something to point out to our listeners is that. And this might seem obvious to people that are MMA fans, but just a quick explanation. There are no minor leagues for MMA. So if you know Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball, if you sign to the Phillies um, right out of high school, right out of college, you're going to go play down in Clearwater. You might play for the Reading Phillies. You might play for the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. I know the Phillies organization a little bit. You you build your way up, single A, double A, triple A, and then the majors, and you can kind of go up and down. And There's a similarity in MMA to that, but the thing to point out to our listeners is when we say regional MMA, that is its own professional MMA. And so unlike, say, I'm a professional baseball player, but I play for double A ball in Reading Phillies, we know, okay, my goal is to get up to the major leagues and play for the Phillies. Or in the Pirates, it would be, I want to get to play for the Pirates. I don't know what they're double or or triple A ball club is. Similarly, the UFC likes to portray, and so does Bellator to some degree, they like to portray that they are the major league of MMA. But what I always try to point out is that regional professional MMA, same rule set, same same type of pressure in the sense of it's a professional MMA fight where you can get kneed and elbowed and all those things. And then obviously, like you're pointing out, there is a difference to the UFC. And I would say the UFC is in some ways the big show Um, But one of the challenging parts is that somebody who's a regional professional MMA fighter, maybe even MMA champion, doesn't necessarily get the opportunity to go to the UFC because there's not a direct feeder system. Unlike the Phillies, if I'm playing for the Reading Phillies and I'm great, they have an interest to bring me up. And something that comes up against the UFC a lot, and they just went through this with Ben Askren for the last, what, six years? They've had this debate where the UFC doesn't have to bring anybody up to the fold because they're not in a pipeline. And so something to point out to the listeners is that the reason why you might hear of somebody like Ben Askren, who's just been brought into the fold, fighting overseas and saying, hey, the UFC doesn't want me, and Dana making fun of him and saying he doesn't want him is because that's not a, there's not a pipeline. They could have just let him over there forever. We are now joined by Joey Munez coming out of Nebraska. Joey, are you there? Yes, here I am. I'm right here. That's perfect, Joey. Welcome to MMA FanCast. First off, um, what's your home? What's your hometown? Where are you from in Nebraska? Gearing, Nebraska. It's a small town right here in the Panhandle. Okay, and are you flying or driving to get uh, uh, Pittsburgh in the April 6th card for 247 Fighting Championship? I'll be flying out. Uh, The drive's a little long. Even the flight itself is about four hours, so like in the middle of a weight cut, I'd rather much fly. Sure, yeah, flying makes sense. Uh, what what led you to make the decision to take a fight out here in Pittsburgh? 
Um, I've been, I've been just trying to get my name out, you know, trying to expand. You know, I, I started my career in Wyoming and Colorado. I've been doing some things in Nebraska lately, and I've just been hoping to get expand is pretty much what it is. And as soon as this came up, I jumped at the opportunity. That's a great attitude to have. Like, let's say the fight goes perfectly April 6th and you come away with the belt. That's the one, uh, the inaugural 155-pound professional belt for 247 fighting championships. What would your plan next be? Do you see yourself coming back out and fighting again in Pittsburgh? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, if I'm the champion, if I walk away the champion, it's, it'd be my duty to come back. That's that's awesome. Since we're talking about the difference between Nebraska and Pennsylvania, you mentioned having fought in uh, Colorado and Denver. Now, that's about a 1,200-foot difference between where you live in Nebraska and Denver. What does that feel like when you went up to elevation? Um, during that time, I was in fairly good in shape, so, I mean, it really didn't feel much different to me. But even just going back there recently, going to cross-train with some fellow friends out there, oh, man, it, it takes a worm on your lungs. I bet it does. Do you get up there a lot? Because that's about, what, three hours, four hours difference for you? Yeah, it's about three and a half hours. You know, I got, I, we, got, we got our little back ways. I travel enough back and forth where I can make it in about two and a half. Gotcha. You're not you're, – that's great. That's great to get that experience. Um, my question for you is you've had a pretty long career when you look at your pro and your amateur. Your amateur, you were five and one, and I know this is going back. But what did you learn in your amateur career of going five and one that has helped you when, when you started off your pro career? When I first started, it was really not, it's not sanctioned, so they didn't get the first few fights. My amateur okay. uh, record was 12 and one. Oh, okay. Uh, gotcha. I mean, um, but I, I learned a lot. You know, I, 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 I sat down, I talked with um, just everyone I could to see when I can go pro. And they're like, oh, people go pro right away or they wait. And I just felt for me being just a pure wrestler that I needed that experience down the road before I turn turn to the pro scene. Right. That makes that makes a lot of sense, particularly coming uh, in pros. There's a lot more strikes that are legal and there's a lot of things that can go wrong if you have a if you're only a wrestler. Now now obviously your pro career is you're on your twelfth or thirteenth fight now. Uh, what's what's something you've been learning in your professional career since you transferred over from amateur? Have confidence in yourself. It's it's the biggest thing. When I first started I defeated uh, my pro debut. I, I uh, went up and fought the defending champion. I had a kick down, shattered his jaw. I haven't seen him back since then, so that really got me a big boost. And then I had my first loss against Alvin Robinson, and that set me back a lot farther than I would have liked it to. That's true. Well, speaking of confidence, my last question before we hear from Jim again is uh, you, you recently fought your last, your last professional fight was uh, a bare-knuckle fight, uh, boxing, right? And so uh, tell, tell us a little bit about that. How was that experience for you? That, that was just a phenomenal experience. I got to meet, you know, top-name fighters, UFC legends such as Chris Lieben, Johnny mm -hmm. Hendricks. I, I got to meet Boss Druten in person. Again, being a wrestler, going to something like just bare-knuckle boxing where I'm forced to stand up. I'm forced to get away from my, my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And I think that really helped me turn a corner on where I, where, I, where I need to learn and where I need to pick my stuff up on. Yeah, that's interesting that a wrestler would go bare knuckle. I know somebody like Chris Lieben, when that news came out that he was going to be fighting bare knuckle, that makes sense because he was always kind of a guy that wanted to swing and not a guy that wanted to wrestle. So the, the question would be, what's the mindset difference for you when you're doing something like boxing versus something like MMA? What, how do you mentally prepare? And what's, what do you like or dislike about those differences? Obviously dislike, you know, I, I can't take them down. That's, that's, that's kind of an obvious one. Yeah. But, 
in it. I, I, I wasn't really sure going into it what I would and what I wouldn't, but afterwards, man, I just fell in love with it. It was, it was just something new, you know. You see people out on the streets doing this every weekend, and you're like, mm. oh, it's just bare knuckle. But to have it like legitimately sanctioned and like on TV and just it's a true sport now. And just to be able to be a part of that and to help me advance what I do from that is is what I was really looking for when I went there. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Plus, coming coming over to this fight, April 6th, Kama Worthy is definitely somebody who's comfortable fighting on his feet. I'm sure you've seen that. So is, is that something that you think is going to help you out, the confidence and just being able to trade more comfortably on the feet? Oh, definitely, w- without a doubt. And especially because that bare knuckle one was, wasn't even at my weight class. It was at a catch weight of 180. And they called me the two days before. Wow. And so I, I jumped up quite a bit of weight, and I fought that Marcelo uh, Alfaya, the old, old uh, ultimate fighter and veteran. Mm-hmm. You know, he fought people like John Fitch. With his size and his reach, you know, I, I felt that that really helped me prepare for this next one, being that he's a powerful striker. I got to yeah. jump up the weight and, you know, take, take some hits from heavy hitters, and I think that helped me out a little bit. Well, you brought up the weight question. I know Jim's got a, a question for you about your weight. So, Jim, you want to jump on there about that weight tie in there? Yeah, actually, uh, before I get to that, I wanted to um, – you mentioned wrestling a couple times. You just recently competed in the, uh, in the bare knuckles. Um, you've got the wrestling background. So this is a, like a two-part question. What is there anything else uh, to your fight game um, besides that? You know, how have you incorporated that into your game um, obviously being heavy, uh, wrestling, when did wrestling start, um, for you? How long have you been doing it? And when did you make that turn towards MMA? What drew you to the sport? Even just wrestling, I was never an outstanding wrestler. I started freshman year, ended senior year, you know, just like a typical high school guy. Wrestled because my friends did it, kind of fell in love with it. Um, I met this kid named Matt Peckham. First, first day of practice, he threw me a triangle. I slammed him. He's like, hey, one day you're going to be a 145-pound champion. <laughs> I didn't believe him. I was like, whatever, man. And I told him, I was like, after I'm done wrestling, I'll come down. I'll come check it out. See, see how I like it. Sure enough, after senior year, after state, and I got beat out, sadly. But, you know, that, that helped me, helped my experience. But right after state, he's like, you said you'd come down. Let's go. I went down, and I just never stopped. Okay, so you, uh, you fought at 145. This one is going to be at 155. What – uh, what do you normally walk around at? Is it uh, a big weight cut? I mean, is this basically what you carry? No, like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a shorter guy, but I've always been a thicker dude. I, I walk around between 80 in my 80s somewhere, 180 to 190. Right now I'm about 85. So I'm in about a 30-pound weight cut. And being as big as I am, if I, I usually cut it off pretty fairly easy. It's the 45, 145, the one that I have trouble with. We've seen some fighters have trouble cutting that weight. And some of them will cut weight early and get through the fight camp pretty close or, you know, trim down significantly before they have to make weight. And other fighters I've seen where, you know, they, they were fighting at 135 and like two days before, they're coming in at 147. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, that's a big, big weight cut. And I, you know, I don't know. Health-wise, you know, longevity, if that is um, good for the body, I don't think it is. But for you, you know, you just mentioned big, what is, amounts to a big weight cut for you. When does that start? And is it something that gradually comes off or is it a big push at the end? I, well, usually what I'll do is like right at the beginning of the camp, I'll cut a good solid 10 to 15, maybe even 20 pounds. And then I'll sit, I'll kind of maintain a weight about 170, 175. And then about a, 
a week and a half out of the fight, I'll, that's when I'll really start cutting, cutting down and getting that down. Because I used to do that too. I used to wait till the last minute and cut 20 pounds in that last week. And I ended up in the hospital for that. I, my, my heart was failing mm-hmm. and I had my gallstones and all this, all, just a whole bunch of crap was going on. So yeah. after that, you know, I, I really started trying to focus on what I'm doing, how I'm doing it. Trial and error. I had a couple uh, mishaps with missing weight by a pound or so after that, just cause I was trying to figure out my, uh, a good game plan to do it from. And I think now that I, especially this, uh, trainer that I have, one of them, his name's Felix Amaripa, a Taekwondo world champion from Mexico. You know, this was back in the sixties, seventies, he's older now, but he still has that knowledge and he's really turning me around. And he's, that's the main thing is like cut weight, cut it right and do it healthy. I don't care about anything else. You can lose a fight, but as long as you're healthy going in and coming out. Yeah, well, I, th- I think the health part is is obviously important. You mentioned in the beginning, like, you can drop 15 to 20 pounds. Where does that start? Is it is it diet? Do you go to something religiously that carries you through your camp? Um, is it a lot of cardio, to, you know, for that first big push? How does that even start to get, you know, because me, if I could lose 15 to 20 pounds, like in six months, I would be floored. I'd be so happy, you know, but I mean, you're doing it in like a matter of six, eight weeks. I'm a heavy eater outside of camp. When, when it's time to come, I just cut what I'm eating in half pretty much for the first couple of weeks. Of course, I, I uh, keep my greens in the diet and all the good stuff. I eat good food, cut out all the grease. And like you said, a lot of cardio, a lot of conditioning. Cause I mean, that's, that's my biggest thing. You know, I, I kind of built my career on my cardio and lasting outlasting my opponents because I was never the most technical fighter. Mm. So be in better shape than anyone and you're going to take them out in that last round. And so that's kind of how I've, I've done it since then. So well, that actually goes to your, to your professional MMA career, how you've had a mix of wins by submission, wins by decision, wins by TKO or knockout. Um, do you credit that to the fact that you're, you're, you're kind of an opportunistic fighter? You're just going to take whatever comes later in the fight. Is that kind of your, your strategy? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, I try to devise a game plan going into it, but as soon as it starts, it goes right out the window. I just kind of adapt. Now my game plans are just adapt to what it is, you know, focus on what I'm good at and avoid what I'm bad at. And key, key thing is don't get hit. doesn't always happen that way, but <laughs> that's kind of the mentality I go in there with. And then I always, I always walk into a fight, hey, I'm a win. You know, all fighters should be doing something like that. If they're not, then they, they may be in the wrong sport. Yeah. So one of the things that um, Luke and I were going to get into um, just before you came on, and it was um, some talk about uh, the UFC, how there's been a big change. You know, we didn't get a chance to talk about this, but there's no rhyme or reason for why certain title fights occur. It seems like whoever does the best trash talking, not necessarily the most, whatever gets the biggest um, social media or creates biggest social media buzz, you know, might catch Dana White's eye or Scott Coker. But I, I, I can't even really include Bellator in that too much. Uh, UFC has lost a little bit of that luster where you went there and you expected to see, like, I don't want to say legitimate because they're all legitimate fights, there's all pros, but regional MMA still has that edge to it and guys are coming in looking to hone their skills and take it to you know the next level maybe going to UFC one championships or even Bellator you know your regional action has has basically been the Midwest Nebraska 
Colorado. What do you think about trash talking? Is it it's something that you got involved in? And when you hear it, what do you think about it? Uh, me personally, I've never been a big trash talker. You know, I've, I've always have been. I've always had trouble putting words together just in a regular conversation. So me trying <laughs> to trash talk is it, it's, it's 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 not good. It's not good. I end up telling people you don't you don't know how to tie your shoes right, and it, that's that's the limit of my trash talk. There it is. That's a good one. Yeah, I think that's perfect. I, you know, I say that to my son all the time. He's 12 years old. It seems to work sometimes. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. But like, like you said earlier, how the UFC, they, they give the titles on the best trash talk. I, I personally don't like it. I, I don't really endorse trash talking just because when, when people really start to take that trash talk to a personal level, it, it gets to that level. It gets to a, it's no longer a business fight. This is personal. I deal with personal things matters in a lot different way than I would a business business matter. You know, if it's a personal matter, I'm not waiting until the cage. I'm, I'm taking it as a, it's personal to me. It affects me personally. So I'm going to solve it how I would on a personal situation. Whereas if people like to keep, I you know get some trash talk here and there, that's fine. You know, as long as nothing overboard, nothing hitting the pressure points of someone, something, you know, that's really going to cross the line. And we're, I'm pretty lenient on it. Me and my buddies, we're, we talk trash to each other all the time. And if someone who don't, who don't know us, they, they, they would expect that we're about to get in a fight or it's something along those lines. Sure, but that's, sure. just, that's just how we are in our little group of friends. Yeah, I'm on the outside of the, uh, the fight game looking in. And when I you know, see and hear that trash talk, I think it's silly. To, sometimes it's funny. But I, I don't see how it motivates another fighter. You know, if somebody says something to me that could be derogatory or, you know, says something about my wife or my mother, that's usually where they go to. Mm-hmm. Hey, what's the big deal? It's just words. We talked to uh, um, one of our recent uh, podcast guests and he said he doesn't get involved in it because he gets to go and punch him in the face. So what's, what's the point of trash talking? You know, he can just, he can stand and trade blows physically instead of verbally. Yeah. Exactly. I, I can I couldn't agree with that more because I mean we're in a fight sport. So if, if you're gonna yeah. use your mouth to fight, you then go 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 be a politician or something. Right. Yeah, this, this isn't the right place. With you know some of the mention of the UFC and Bellator, you know uh, some of the bigger names, bigger named organizations. Do you have aspirations to to move that way? Is um, is that something that you want to do and you know go further with this uh, MMA career? Oh, definitely, of course. You know, UFC has been a. I grew up on UFC. You know, I remember watching UFC one when I was like four years old or something like that. And of course, I've always wanted to go there. But at the, at the stage it is now, I want to be there because the best fighters in the world are there. Has yeah. more publicity. But at the same time, to succeed in that organization, like you said, you got to be a good trash talker and you just got to be able to do that sort of thing and I'm, that's really not me and but I, I would love to go fight for them I definitely most likely would and that's that's where my goal is either them or uh, uh one FC championships over on the east side of the world because I just I just love the atmosphere that they bring to the fight yeah. game you know you, you see guys doing jiu-jitsu moves like two jiu-jitsu guys fighting in the UFC they get booed yeah two jiu-jitsu guys fighting in the one FC they're getting applauded they're getting cheered because the fans aren't just some drunks that are Oh, right. they punch them in the face. They they enjoy the sport. They they know they have a respect for the fighters and what they do. Yeah, that's actually something that Mighty Mouse brought up. Now, obviously, uh, DJ got uh, traded to one FC, but it's something that he brought up years ago about how certain cultures, particularly the Eastern culture, really appreciating mixed martial arts and really liking the strategy and the tech, te- you know, the, the the tactics of a fight. 
Um, given given the fact that you're now traveling from Nebraska to Pittsburgh, you know, on a plane, let's say magical thinking, you win the fight April, a month later, you somehow get contacted by 1FC. Uh, would you be like, yes, I'm going to do it. I'll jump on a plane and be in China. Is that is that how quickly or would you say, give me a year, give me six months? When could you actually see sort of that jump to the international stage? And if you want to hear the answer to that question, you're going to have to tune in to the next episode of MMA FanCast. Thanks for listening to this edition of MMA FanCast. We have been joined by the first part of Joey Munez's interview. Listen back for the second part. <laughs>